The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident. Boring to recall Jacob and Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinske. Sue, great guest today, the great multi-award, he's won so many awards. Uh, Brian Cranston, a friend of mine, friend of ours, uh, is going to be on the show. Talk to him about Argyle and a bunch of other stuff that uh, he's been working on. What have you been working on? I've been uh, not working, well I'll tell you what I'm not working on. I'm not working on my golf game because Uh of the weather, so that's a drag. Um, you know, still working on all the projects that we always talk about. Sure. So, still working on the dock and uh, still have irons in the freezer. In the freezer? <laughs> in the freezer. That's a joke that somebody yeah. once said to me. You should put them in the fire. Well, they're not in the fire. They're in the freezer. In the but freezer. But, but, but they're still alive. Uh, excellent. Excellent. Well, I want to remind everybody who is watching, everybody who is listening, uh, that we love your help in promoting the show. Um, so if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, you can subscribe to the show. That's great. Leave us a five-star rating. That's great. And then write a positive review. That's even better. And if you're on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Culture Pop Podcast channel. Then you can scroll down and leave us a comment or a, rev- a review or a joke or whatever you got. All this stuff helps us as we continue to grow the show. Sue, I've upgraded the studio situation here. The lighting is like all brand new. Uh, we're redoing the studio. Then we're going to redo your house and we're going to continue to build this thing. Because we apparently have to do something with the lighting here. <laughs> yes. I would love to get it's you my ring. some lighting. You've got your ring light ro- working, and that's that's good. Yeah, but once, well, once we get the great, oh, you're going to love it. I can't wait. Cool. Uh, All right. So uh, SAG Awards, by the time this comes out, will be a couple of days before the Screen Actors Guild Awards. And this is the, uh, the awards that I actually have a vote in. Did, you have a vote, right, Sue? Mm-hmm. You're in the SAG, you're in SAG right? I am in SAG. Yeah. So um, I went through and actually did my voting last night. I'm not going to tell you exactly who I voted for, but I'm going to tell you who I think should win. Okay. I didn't do my voting yet. You, oh, you haven't done it yet. No. Okay. Well, let's, let's do this. Um, so let's start out with uh, Best Actor. Best Actor, uh, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Pullman Domingo, so good in Rustin, Paul Giamatti, is Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers, uh, Killian Murphy, or Cillian Murphy, I don't know which one, uh, for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright, who's very, very funny in American fiction. So who do you think should win? I think Paul Giamatti should win. I'd love for Coleman Domingo to win. Oh, he was great on our show, right? He's fantastic in that movie. He was so, look, they were all great. But he was so great. I mean, he's the movie. Yeah. He, he is, is that movie. So yeah, it's a I, great I, movie. It's on Netflix if you haven't seen it. It's called Rustin. Um, I am all in on Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. I rewatched Maestro last week. Um, and 
his performance, by the time you get to the, the Mahler second, uh, orchestra and him direct uh, or conducting. I mean, it's just, I think it's an amazing performance and totally forgot that that was Bradley Cooper. Completely forgot. Right. Um, I think, by the way, Giamatti or Killian Murphy will wind up winning. I think it's kind of a two-horse race there. Right. Um, okay, outstanding performance by a female in a leading role. Annette Benning for Nyad, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, Margot Robbie for Barbie and Emma Stone for Poor Things. Okay, now I have not seen Poor Things, but I oh. hear Emma Stone is amazing in it. Um, I would like to see Lily Gladstone win, mm -hmm. but I think Emma Stone is going to win. You know, yeah, you got to see Poor Things. It is such an inventive, original performance it's not like it's it's sort of like a frankenstein kind of situation mm -hmm. uh, this is the yorgos lanthanos movie um and so she's learning how to be a person and learning how to be a woman and it's fascinating to watch um i i think she stole I, it my two favorite performances this year are emma stone and bradley cooper i think both are exceptional um now, who's going to win? I think there's, I think Lily Gladstone or Emma Stone will wind up winning. I'm going to guess and root for Emma Stone. You got to see that movie. Yeah. You will love that movie. Um, okay. Supporting actor, Sterling K. Brown. He was awesome in American fiction. Mm -hmm. Willem Dafoe, so good in Poor Things. Robert De Niro in Killers of the Flower Moon. Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer. And Ryan Gosling in Barbie. I'm going to go with Sterling K. Brown. Hmm. He's great. And I really want him to win. I have a feeling that Robert Downey Jr. may win, but I really want Sterling K. Brown to win. Um, I think Sterling K. Brown was fantastic. It's a really, it's a great performance. Robert Downey Jr., I, uh, and here's the other, I went back and watched Oppenheimer again mm -hmm. over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is so good in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you... It's funny, he made a joke at the last award ceremony. Somebody told him he's so subtle in uh, Oppenheimer. <laughs> and he said, well, that means I must be really too big the rest of the time. Um, he is, he gives just a straight ahead, meat and potatoes kind of performance. Uh, it feels very, very real. Um, it's all, his scenes are all in black and white, which I think actually adds to sort of the period-ness of it. Um, mm -hmm. I think Robert Downey Jr. is going to win and I'm, I'm rooting for him to win. I think that's an, given what happened in his life, the ups and the downs and all yeah. that, it's amazing that he's gotten to this point. It yeah, really yeah, is. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's a case for everybody to win. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, all right. Female supporting this is outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role. Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple. Penelope Cruz for Ferrari, which I will acknowledge I did not see. Uh, Jodie Foster in Nyad. And Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers, who she's been a guest on the show. Um, I have not seen The Color Purple. I have seen Ferrari. And Penelope Cruz was very, very good. Was she? It. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. Um, I think it's Divine uh, Joy Randolph. All the way. I, I want her to win, and I think she's going to win. I love her scene, and we talked to her about it, in the kitchen, huh. uh, where she has her emotional break about the death of her son. And what I remember from that conversation is that she said they did two takes. 
they did a first one that was a little buttoned down. And then they did one where she went bigger and it was more of an emotional breakdown. And they used the first take. And the first take is beautiful. They mm -hmm. didn't need a second take. It was, mm -hmm. it was subtle and real and honest and not over the top and felt genuine. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that story and I love Divine Joy Randolph to win right there. Um, all right, best picture, American fiction, Barbie, The Color Purple, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer. This is uh, best ensemble. So it's the equivalent of best picture at the SAG Awards. Okay, best ensemble. Huh. Uh, Where's mine? Say it, same again? American fiction, Barbie, Color Purple, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Oppenheimer. Why don't I have this here? I don't know. Maybe they didn't, maybe SAG didn't send you the full ballot. <laughs> no, I'm just looking at what I, what I uh, printed out myself. Oh, okay. Oh, by a cast. Okay. Yeah, I by a I cast. Got and I, got I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Got it. Okay. Um, hmm. Wow. I'm going to go with Oppenheimer. Yeah. I, I, Oppenheimer, there are so many great actors in Oppenheimer and they, and, not in all cases do they have large roles. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Jason, uh, uh, Florence Pugh floats through and Josh Hartnett is really good. And Kenneth Branagh shows up and it's like, mm -hmm. it's one great actor after another. Everybody wants to work with Christopher Nolan. I, for me, it's, it is going to win best picture also. It's going to win best ensemble here. And I think it will win best picture at the Oscars. All right, let's do TV. Okay. Uh, Male actor in a television movie or limited series. Matt Bomer for Fellow Travelers. John Hamm for Fargo. David Oyo. I never say his name right. Oyo. Lolo? I don't know. I can't say his name. Okay. I believe. Uh, for Lawman Bass Reeves. Tony Shaloub for Mr. Monk's Last Case. And Stephen Yoon for uh, Beef. I think Stephen Yoon is going to win. See, I didn't see Beef. You didn't? No. Oh God, it's so much fun. Am I am I missing out? I think so. It's so unique. It's so great. Yeah, he he was wonderful in it. And look, you know, Matt Bomer was great. John Hamm was great. Yeah. Um, Tony Shalhoub is always great. You know. Yeah. I didn't right. see Bass Bass Reeves, but um, Stephen Ewan, he he's he's just phenomenal, and I think. It all seems to be leading, leaning towards I that. Think so I think he is going win. to win. I think he's going to win. Um, yeah. I'm rooting for Matt Bomer because I loved Fellow Travelers. He it was, was great. such a great show. Such he was a great terrific. show. Uh, but I, but I agree with you. I, I'm pretty sure Stephen Young is going to win. Um, female actor in a television movie or limited series. Um, Uzo Aduba for Painkiller. She's from uh, Orange is the New Black, right? Catherine Hahn for Tiny Beautiful Things. Brie Larson for Lessons in Chemistry. Belle Powley for A Small Light. And Ali Wong for Beef. I know you saw A Small Light. I did. So who, so she, what's the, the actress? She played Meep. Oh, wow. I tell you, I think Ali Wong may win, but I really want... What's her, what's her name? I can't Belle find it. Belle Belle Polly. She is phenomenal. Is she? Yes. So I would, I would, I want her to win, but I think Ali Wong's going to win. Yeah. I think Ali Wong is going to win. Um, and honestly, I have not seen any of these shows. So I, when I filled out my ballot, I left this purposely blank. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to just vote for the sake of voting. Right, 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 right. I would watch a small light, but I can't sell it at home. One is just not going to go along with a Holocaust era drama. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a very, very sad series, but the yeah. acting is incredible. Okay. Outstanding performance by a male actor in a drama series. Brian Cox, Succession. Billy Crudup, The Morning Show. Kieran Culkin, Succession. Matthew McFadden, Succession. Pedro Pascal, The Last of Us. Wow. It's a real toss-up between Kieran Culkin and Pedro Pascal. Um, and I think Kieran Culkin's going to win, but I'd like Pedro Pascal to win. I also would like Pedro Pascal to win. Now, how much of The Last of Us have you... Have you continued watching I, The Last of Us? I, am, I have maybe like five more episodes. It's so good. It's yeah. such a good show. Um, yeah, I'm rooting for Pedro Pascal. I actually have a feeling Matthew McFadden's going to win. Huh. He had a he had a great year, oh, right God. down He's... to that very last scene where Shiv puts her hand on his hand. Oh, this, in the yeah, in the, in the limo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, and just being the guy that figured it all out and won the game. Um, I think probably Kieran Culkin's the favorite. I'm rooting for Pedro Pascal, but Matthew McFadden could definitely win. Um, outstanding performance by a female actor in a drama series. Jennifer Aniston for The Morning Show, Elizabeth Debicki for The Crown, Bella Ramsey for The Last of Us, Carrie Russell for The Diplomat, and Sarah Snook for Succession. Hmm. Wow. This is I, one where I, I've seen all five performances. This is a tough category. I would love to see Bella Ramsey win. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if she will. Um... I would I would give it to Sarah Snook. Yeah, I mean, I think it is Sarah Snook. Sneaky Elizabeth Debicki as Princess Diana in The Crown. Was, I thought she was great. Oh, God, she was so good. Yeah, she was really good. She, she was, was really, really good. good. It's too bad they're in the same category. I think it's Sarah Snook's year, but Elizabeth Debicki was awesome. And Bella Ramsey is fantastic. And, then, um, and, it's, and, you know, I don't know, you know, when it comes to SAG Awards, I mean, what is the percentage of of people who win the SAG award that go on to win the Oscar. I mean, it's very you? high yeah, because okay. think about this, the SAG awards, um, represent SAG-AFTRA and that is the largest voting block in the Academy. So you can usually tell a lot by who wins the SAG awards. Like mm -hmm. I would bet that whoever wins best actor at the SAG awards is going to wind up winning best actor at the Oscars. That's I think, I think, because their actors are the biggest part of the Academy. Right. All right. Uh, outstanding performance by a male actor in a comedy series. Brett Goldstein, Ted Lasso, Bill Hader, Barry, Evan Moss, Bacharach for The Bear, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, and Jeremy Allen White for The Bear. I just hate that the bear is in the comedy category. It just drives me crazy. It is, it is odd. And I know it's dark And by the way, and Barry, Barry should not be in the comedy category either. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Not a laugh riot. Um, I think Jeremy Allen White. Yeah, I think Jeremy Allen White also. Yeah. yeah. I. By the way, I love Evan Moss Backrack. Mm -hmm. He's great as, He's as great. Richie on The Bear. He's great. But I think Jeremy Allen White's the guy. Um, outstanding performance by a female actor in a comedy series, Alex Borstein for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Rachel Brosnahan for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Quentin Brunson for... Abbott Elementary, Io Edabiri for The Bear, and Hannah Waddingham for Ted Lasso. I think Io Edabiri. I do too. I, I I mean, I love The Bear. I just love the show. Mm -hmm. And did you see her host Saturday Night Live? 
I did. Iota Berry. She hosted last. She's great. She's mm. really, really great. Comes from. Uh, she tried to do stand up. Did some stand up. Did some improv. Mm. Um, and it all showed on uh, on uh, Saturday Night Live. I thought, but I think Iota Berry is going to win. Um, and then the oh, two more outstanding drama series: The Crown, The Gilded Age, a show I have never seen. Um, the last of us, the morning show and succession succession. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Succession is, where's that rank all time for you? Um, it's definitely in a top 10 for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in the top five for me. Hmm. And I just think that's, I'm, I am going to miss it. It's it's interesting because a lot of shows hang around too long. This one, mm -hmm. I'm gonna miss it. It I I could have watched more, but they left us wanting more, which I think is a really powerful way to end a series. Yeah, I mean there there are other there are shows that ended in such a perfect way. Yes, um, that I don't know if we didn't. I, I wasn't like oh I needed more, but I just missed the show. Yes. Like I miss, I'll, I miss Breaking Bad. Yeah, oh yeah. And I miss Mad Men. And yep. I miss The Sopranos, you know? So, and The Wire, you no, know? The shows Wire, like, so you know? good, yeah. So. All right, outstanding comedy series. Abbott Elementary. Barry. The Bear. Only Murders in the Building. And Ted Lasso. The Bear. The Bear, I agree. The Bear. If you had a second pick there, what would it be? Um, hmm. I never, ever watch Abbott Elementary. So. I've watched it. I don't watch it regularly. I catch it on Hulu sometimes. Um, Barry. Yeah, I, you know, I would go Only Murders in the Building. Hmm. Makes me laugh a lot. I, I love uh, Steve Edwards and Martin Short and Meryl Streep was on it this year and Paul Rudd was on it this year. It was a really fun series. So I, if, if, if not the bear, I would say only murders in the building, but I do think it will be the bear. Um, all right. Well, that'll be fun. I love award season. It's like my I favorite know. time. It's my okay. favorite thing. Um, so we've got a great guest today, Sue. He is a multiple Emmy winner, a golden globe winner, a two-time Tony winner and an Academy award nominee. And his current project is the Matthew Vaughn-directed spy send-up Argyle. Brian Cranston joins us. Hey, Brian, what's going on, man? Mason, uh, it, I count the days, minutes, and hours since I see you from time to time, but you're as handsome as ever. Well, thank, as are you. As are you, Brian. God, as are you. We're, we're getting senile in our old age here. Do, do you want me to leave and then come back? <laughs> <laughs> no, Sue, stay, stay. <laughs> so I we were texting while you were at the uh, Rams Lions game, right? And and by the way, I see you and like Stan Kroenke's. But you you and Stan are really tight now. Are you running with Stan? I'm not running with Stan. You know, he he, he comes to me at, for consultations every now and then. Of course, you know, and um, and Les Snead, you know, comes over to me all the time, going. Should I trade someone? Who? What should I do? Tell me. And uh, I said, "Hold firm, hold firm." And I said, "Les, you got a you got a draft choice for the first time since Sean McVay has been here. You've got a first round draft choice." 
Uh, what are you going to do with it? And it wouldn't surprise me if he traded it away before before the draft. You know, he likes to say, F them picks. F them picks. I know. I think he has a t-shirt that says that. Yes, he does. I've got a <laughs> mug that says F them picks. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Well, no, but it's fun. I've, I've been a Rams fan for the longest time. I was born and raised in L.A., so I've always known the Rams to be there until... They moved first. They uh, Georgia Frontieri moved them down to Anaheim, and it was like, "Oh, really? You're becoming geographically undesirable." Yes, to me. <laughs> and then she moved them out of the state to St. Louis, and I was like, "Well, fine, get go, leave then. I don't need you." And then they came back and thoroughly expected me just to just fall in line and take them back. They came back to me. I can even smell St. Louis all over them. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know who you think I am, um, but they're so damn pretty that I just, I just couldn't resist, you know? So, you know, they were, they were part of my, my childhood. And, 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 uh, you know, I came around and said, all right, I'll take you back. Promise <laughs> never to leave again. Yes, Exactly. It's funny because I would I do not recognize the St. Louis years. Like I was a, when I was a little kid. People question this. When I was a little kid growing up in Toledo, Ohio, I wanted to have a team that was in the playoffs every year. And my brother was a Raiders fan, and my mom was a Pittsburgh fan, and my dad was a Dallas fan. So I said, you know what? The Rams were in it every single year. So about 1974, I said, you know, I'm going to be a Rams fan. Um, and then when I finally got out here, the Rams immediately left and moved to St. Louis. So. Now that they're back, it's it feels strangely cosmic that I am on the radio station that is the home of the Rams. You know, I I don't think it's directly your fault that the Rams left when you arrived. Correct. Sure. Yes. Some of the blame <laughs> has to be put on you, but not entirely. That's rough, though. I mean, I, I grew up in New York, so I never had a team that left me. That would, you, have been, you, that would have been very may, sad. You may have wished that some of those teams left well, you. Yes. I mean, ever, ever, for decades. Yeah. Yeah. So you were at that game. Uh, we, Sue and I were just talking. I, I get stuck in games, so I'll remember a particular moment. And for me, it's third and 13 uh, when multiple penalties were missed, including pass interference on Puka Nakua, and then fourth and 13 and Sean punted. Shouldn't have punted there. Should have gone for it. Uh, but not that I'm stuck in that moment. Well, how, mu how many minutes were left when it was four, uh, fourth and 13? Seven and a half. And how, what, what was the yard line? Where were they? They were um, at the, uh, Detroit 40, uh, 47, Detroit 47. Yikes. That's seven and a half minutes. That's, that's a lot of time. I disagree with you there. I think the punt was right. You know, it's funny because being, when you're there in person and you're watching the game, uh, you, I didn't see the missed calls. I had to look up quickly to the, to the monitor. To right. See if they, replay that but i didn't i didn't see it yeah so i, I thought the, the officiating was was horrible i think it's been bad um and it seems like it's worse this year than it's been in prior years but there was a play where um stafford there were three roughing the passer penalties in one play he got hit twice and then he got stomped on on the chest and they missed every one of them Wow. And that was a big turning point. And I, I think I may have said this to Steve. 
I think what should happen is that they need a ref up in the booth because they miss so many plays. They need somebody who has that per- that perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the uh, back judge is there and, and uh, you know, you think that they'd have enough and they actually, how many years ago did they add another um, official? Oh, it's probably it? been, probably been 10 years since yeah. they added an official. Yeah. I just yeah. don't understand why, obviously, when I watch it on TV, I can see the review. I don't need to go to the review. It's very clear on TV. I don't know why they don't just immediately look at TV and say, oh, we see the right call. Instead, they, I don't know, they go to New York, they look at an iPad or a Microsoft Surface and the official, it's like, it's such an antiquated way to deal with an important play in a game. Yeah, but I think it's kind of fun. I think the, I think there's a decision to be made by the coach. Do you throw the red flag? If you, if you miss it, you're going to lose a, a timeout, which is costly. Um, so the challenge I think is kind of interesting. It gives the, the fans and the players a chance to pause for a second. Everyone's looking up at the replay and you see it. And um, I don't know. I think it actually adds a little level of excitement to the game. So we both saw Argyle over the weekend. Oh, you did? Yeah, great, great fun. By the way, I, yeah, perfect, perfect transition to did go. Did you from think that was smooth? Through a smooth man, yeah, you yeah. you are a professional. Thank you, thank you. I'm proud of my transitions. Yeah. Um, so Matthew Vaughn did his thing, right? Matthew Vaughn yeah. is this a lot. I mean, candy colored, crazy fight sequences, all that kind of stuff. And you play the bad guy. You're the nicest guy in the world, but you tend you played a lot of bad guys in your career. Where's where's all that come from? Well, I think the bad guy thing comes from just my, my craggy face. <laughs> I mean, if you were to look at my face right now, I know we're doing a podcast, but the, for those of you who are actually watching this and I'll get close to the camera. Oh yeah. Uh, I have resting mean face. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have to do anything. And all of a sudden you're going, that guy looks me. Here we go. Here's resting mean face. Oh God. And the mustache. You're also, right. That's to, adds to that, I think. Well, too. the mustache itself is me. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's nasty villainous. Mustache. It's villainous. Yes. And I can also then twist it like like cartoon villains. Like yes. D- yes. D- dastardly. Dastardly? Is that, was that his it. name? D- yeah. Dastardly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you this. Um, you've worked this year with Matthew Vaughn, who's got a very specific vision. And you also worked with Wes Anderson on uh, Asteroid City. Um, these are both guys that have a, a vision, they're uh, tours. Is that kind of what draws you sometimes to a project? It is. Um, the story itself is compelling, and that's usually the first thing in a conventional um, project that, that I look for is, what's the story? Is it compelling? Did it move me? Um, am, I, am I obsessing about it? Am I daydreaming about it? Going from that story to the character, is there something that I can do or is it derivative? Have I played this character before? Uh, if I have, then I'm a little less interested. But then the, the director's vision comes in and says, oh, no, we're going to blow it out. And like with Matthew Vaughn and Argyle, it was, no, I just want you to go crazy. But, you know, crazy for me, I had to, I always feel like I have to ground my character as as villainous and and over the top as 
as Argyle is in the best of ways, um, there still feels like I need to ground that guy and know who that person is to be able to to play him. So, and that and Wes Anderson is the same thing. It's like it's they are auteurs, and you know, one of the first things you learn in in any acting class is the trust exercise, and you fall back into a into a you know, scene partner's arms, and they catch you and lay you down on the ground, and that's to teach you. You need to trust who you're working with, and um, and we certainly do. Um, I don't. I wouldn't work with people who I who I dislike personally, um, because again, life's too short. So it's uh, I, I want to do good work and and work with real um, visionaries, uh, but it's uh, you know you kind of you kind of navigate your way through and. I also like to do theater, so it's like theater and film, television shows. I kind of, I kind of, you know, make my way through without any real knowing knowing pattern ahead of me. I just kind of feel it at the time. I want to ask you a question from a, an actor's perspective. Uh, Steve and I interviewed Gideon Glick, who played um, Ma- uh, Bradley Cooper's love interest in Maestro, and he was saying that Bradley Cooper had requested that they stay in character even after the camera, after a scene was done. But anytime they were just hanging out together in between takes, he wanted the both of them to stay in character. Have you ever a requested something like that? Or have you, has that ever been requested upon you? Um, most of the time, I remember when I did, um, I played Lyndon Johnson in All the Way for HBO. And I think for the most part, because I look at myself in the mirror and I saw him and I, I felt like in order not to let him slip away during a break, I needed to hold on to him. And I think that's what, what Bradley was doing. I think he felt he needed to to keep a handle on him mm-hmm. so that he didn't make a mistake and go back into a scene and, and have the character slide a little bit away from him. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think any actor that does that is, you know, um, uh, um, they, they have this sense that they, they need to stay closer to the character and don't let them go. You know, when you were out, uh, doing press um you made a lot of news for your idea for a reunion uh of the cast of the office um and i've I've read a bunch of articles now i will confess up front this is a blind spot in my pop culture ref i've never watched the office i have friends who say you've got to watch the office what was your concept and did you think it was going to catch on because i've read a bunch of articles about it now you have yeah there are a bunch of articles Oh, that surprises me. I went on the Office Girls um, podcast. Uh, I love these girls, uh, Angela and uh, Jenna. And um, I directed an episode of The Office. Uh, it is a, a legendary show. Uh, they took the original from, from London and made it their own. And Steve Carell and John Krasinski. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's a beautifully written show wonderfully performed, quirky, odd, weird, and, and sentimental. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I probably just stirring the pot a little bit. Some people coming up to me and saying, would you like to see it? I'm sure I'd love to see it. It's like when people <laughs> during the press for Argyle, 
people kept coming in, in the interviews and on the red carpet during our premiere in London. They said, now, can you clarify anything about Taylor Swift writing this story? Did, <laughs> is she the writer of Argyle? And just to, just to be an idiot, I, I would say, well, uh, I, I can't confirm or deny <laughs> that statement. <laughs> which is actually a truthful statement. I can't confirm or deny. There you go. I don't know. I don't know who wrote it. So, Well, it came out that uh, two women wrote it together. Is that right? An, yeah. I read about it today. There was uh, an Australian screenplay writer and a British novelist. They came together because one of them could, didn't have the time to, um, to write it alone. So they joined forces, and the studio allowed this, the two of them, to write it. So You're breaking news, Sue. Look there at you that. Go. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift fans, very disappointed right now, though. Very, very disappointed very. by well, the was, fact was, that she, her fingerprints she, are not on it. She's the go-to with everything now. Like, I, I always, like, if something is, is missing or broken in my house, I blame everything on the housekeeper and she's become the new housekeeper she's blamed at for everything now it's taylor swift it's taylor swift yeah i, I know well it's like it's we we certainly have crowned her the queen of american pop culture i mean she there's no one bigger right now yeah um, it's amazing amazing have you seen her in concert oh my god have i seen her in concert uh, uh no see i've seen her in concert twice I absolutely, why are you smirking? No, I'm just, I, no, I, it, you know, I'm, I'm a little older than you, Steve. I'm, I'm in By my way, late. not much. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I'm in my late sixties now. Yes. And right. I, you know, Taylor Swift came along at, at, during a different generation and it's like, I think she's immensely talented, but it's not something, you know, I, I think if I had a granddaughter, right. Uh, that I would, I would actually want to go to a Taylor Swift concert with my granddaughter. The problem is my granddaughter wouldn't want me to go with her yeah, that's to true. a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> that's, that's so uncool. Um, I want to ask you a Breaking Bad question that I've been thinking up. Oh, I hear that's a good show. Have you ever seen that one? I, I did catch that one. <laughs> I did catch that one. And one of the things I loved about it was, and Sue and I, before we came on, we were just talking about True Detective on HBO on Sunday nights oh. and uh, totally into that. Uh, but it's not this great communal experience. Like the thing about Breaking Bad, we by the time you got to the finale, everybody was everybody I knew was watching it. Like it was it was the zeitgeist. I wonder if we're ever going to have a show that does that again. And aren't we kind of poor for it if it doesn't happen? I think we, we are poor. Um, yeah, we had some, something like 10 and a half or 11 million people watching in 2013, which is unheard of with all the other distractions that are available to anybody. Um, it's not like the days when 30 million people watched the mash finale or right. something. By the way, it's a um, hundred million people watched the mash finale. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was, it was a Super Bowl number. It's like the sixth highest rated show in history. Steve, yes. did you, did you ever watch mash? I did watch mash. Yeah. I was, I was in on that one. Just check. The only one I missed was the office. The only one. Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna like that. You're gonna, you're gonna get hooked on it. 
Yeah. It's fun. Oh yeah, it's it's really good. And the so, British one, the British one is fun too. Kind of surprised you didn't watch the interesting British one. how and this came up uh, that I if you watch Steve Carell in the fir- in the pilot episode of The Office, he's more caustic and cynical, uh, more matching Ricky Gervais character in the in the British version of The Office. And then it didn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work for, for to, it didn't have elasticity. It didn't, it didn't have the legs to go year after year um, with that kind of character. So they made an adjustment to him to be more in the vein, uh, more in the vein of a, of a Don Knotts character, which is mm-hmm. the classic character of tremendous confidence and very low ability. Hmm. A, and and so that combination was was empathetic, and you he ingratiated himself to the audience, and pretty soon you were like, oh my god, that character was just absurd and sweet <laughs> and naive and obtuse. It was fun to watch. I just want to share something that I think you'll appreciate. So, and it, and it has to do with Steve not watching The Office because whenever I think of The Office, I worked on a show many years ago. I was a producer. It was a reality show and it would, took place in a newsroom. And the guy, one of the executive producers was a bonehead. He gave the worst notes. We were actually told by the studio, do not do his notes. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you're putting us in a really precarious situation because when we show him a cut and we haven't done his notes, he's going to ask us why. And we can't tell him that the network said not to do them. Anyway. <laughs> When we were watching some of um, the cuts, we realized that the show, because it was very voyeuristic, was very much like The Office. And we were talking to this idiot guy, and we were saying, it's so much like The Office. And he said, I know, isn't it? And then we found out he never even saw The Office. He just agreed with us. Wait a minute, was that guy Steve Mason, that bonehead? <laughs> sound, 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 the guy that didn't see, I'm the one guy that didn't see The Office. <laughs> I get shit about it everywhere. But you're a different kind, of, you're a lovable bonehead. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank yes, you. Steve. Mm-hmm. So, Brian, when I was a little kid, my goal was to be on Broadway. Never got there. Well, you know what? You're not dead. Correct, correct. Um, you, you've been there multiple times. Um, is your acting different on stage compared to on camera or is it is a performance a performance um well it, it it's from from a development of the character it's the same i don't i don't do anything different when i'm developing a character for a stage or film or tv um but it's interesting because in film and television i've seen the work in uh, on on stage, I haven't. So someone will say, "What uh, what what do you think was better, the film version of All the Way, or when you did it on stage?" And I said, "Well, I only saw the film version. I didn't see the play." Huh, and uh, and and that's true. It's like it, you're you're there. You're so personally involved at that moment. Um, you don't want to have any objectivity, as if you're watching yourself on stage i don't know uh, the one thing you can know is are you moving that audience 
our responsibility as actors on in the theater is to take an audience on a journey. They paid good money to sit there and you want to take them. Our, we pick them up and we take them on this ride and we tell them the story. And sometimes it's harrowing and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's adventurous. And then we leave them back off, you know, two hours later or whatever. And we want them to feel like that was a worthy ride. And that's our job. So the only way you can do that is to is to choose carefully, make sure that the plays that you're selecting are are worthy of that. And um, you know, I'll do more theater. We're, I'm in discussions right now with with doing some more theater, both here and maybe in London. Hmm. So, yeah. Have you ever thrown? Because you know, live performance. I did stand up for a long time, and I can do the same joke. And some nights it gets a huge laugh, and some nights they're just not into you. Did yeah. ever you ever get thrown? Uh, the only time that I was thrown um, is when you're on stage. Unlike doing stand up, I did stand up as well for like nine months, hmm. and I rose to the level of mediocrity. Uh, that was my claim to fame. I, I back in the eighties. There was the Laugh Stop, the Playboy Club, the Improv, the uh, Comedy Store. There were several uh, mm -hmm. different places, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would only do open mic nights because I, I never should have been paid, nor was I ever paid. So I was just trying to get better and better. And, and listening to all the uh, stand-ups uh, who came before me, it was, um, you know, you just got to put in your hours. You got to do the 10,000 hours, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there I am just one after another. And I remember I was in Encino at the laugh stop over there mm -hmm. and I had my best set ever. I mean, laugh after laugh and bigger and got bigger and bigger and crushed. It was about 10, 10, 15 at night. I got into my car on a high. I drove as fast as I could to Melrose at the improv. And I told the guy, look, I'm, I'm on fire. I got this. I got it. I finally got it. Please let me go on. He says, well, you can go on at 1215 unless there's a cancellation. It's like, oh, okay. Well, 1215 became 1230, 35. And he finally brings me on. And here he is, man. I come on with the same material, the same energy, nothing. It was, yeah. I mean, it got a titters and it got, it got your little bit of laughs. It is by far the, the hardest performance uh, art that I have ever dabbled in. It was um, sometimes excruciatingly painful. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's something, you know, talk about going up there without a net. It's you and a microphone and a, and a spotlight. Mm -hmm. That's it. And uh, there is no such thing as an off night for you. If you have an off night, you're in trouble. But anyway, so... Um, uh, as the only when you're on stage doing a play, you're used to seeing the audience um, look in a in a, and twist their heads in a horizontal way, as if they're watching a tennis match. They see one actor, then they look over to the other actor responding, then back to this actor. So you're used to that horizontal movement. What you're not used to seeing is a vertical movement up and down, up and down, up and down. All of a sudden, I started noticing someone dead center, first row, look up and down, looking up and down. And I'm thinking, what, what could the, the uh, it, it was distracting. So I 
during a speech, I, I, I changed my blocking and I walked straight down, down uh, center. And I, I took a pause as Lyndon Johnson and I kind of looked down as if I was thinking. And I looked down and I saw that he was on his phone. Oh. There was a kid, there was a kid about 16 years old and he was on his phone and he looked up and he looked down and he's doing, he do, do, do. look up and then down again. To look up. And I started getting furious and I went back to the blocking and I was, and I couldn't help and I couldn't help, but, but keep thinking of this kid and, and what I could do. And then I realized, Oh, the next speech I have is really fiery. And I had a, a habit of expectorating a lot during that speech. <laughs> and so I changed my blocking when I was doing that speech and I came right down stage and I started doing the speech with all the fire in my belly. And I could see the kid looking, <laughs> you could see the spittle coming out at him like it was, <laughs> like it was, you know, firing over his bow. And he was, <laughs> ducking from one place to another and i and i literally was spitting on this kid for for doing that and at the time it felt it felt a little gratifying um but afterward i i was upset with myself because i i let some kid who doesn't know any better uh affect my performance um and that's not that's not professional Did you think of stepping out of character because i i know that uh I think Lawrence Fishburne did it once where he stepped out of character to address somebody in the audience. Um, it was actually, that, phone. That, yeah. that was, I think that was Wendell Pierce. Oh, okay. And, and, uh, and, um, uh, uh, death of a salesman. And there was a, there was someone in the audience who was out of control and talking back. And it was like, it, it was obvious that this play is not going to be able to continue. And Wendell's just stopped it and put her in her place in a way that was firm, but um, really clever and said, look, you want to talk about this after, we're going to talk about this after, but right now you're going to sit down and be quiet. So the rest of these people can, who pay good money are going to be, you know, and just kind of scolded her in a way that was very um, um, authoritative and, yeah. but not unkind. It was like enough, enough yep. of that behavior. And, uh, but I felt like if I ever get out of LBJ, I, I would, it's almost like a record skipping. I, I just feel like I would slide out of control. You know, a lot of yeah. it, you mentioned death of a salesman. A lot of actors say that's sort of that they want to do their death of a salesman. They want to play Willie Loman. And I've, I saw Brian Dennehy do it. I've seen a number of actors do it. Is that, do you have any of that itch? Yeah. You know, um, I, I do. There are there are characters that I I'm really attracted to, and as I age, I'm getting into a great place to play those. Um, Lear, of course, is one. Um, Hickey uh, in Long Day's Journey, uh, um, and um, of course, Willie is is another character. The only thing about that is um, that um, you know it's been done. It's been done all right. And I, I'm kind of hesitant to do a character. That's why I've kind of shied away from doing more Shakespeare. Um, to be honest, it, it feels like I just think people will start saying, well, that Lear is much like the last Lear I saw three years ago. 
And then mm-hmm. that year later before it and the one before it and the one, it's like you're stacking up. And I feel like there's only, the only reason to do a character in the first place is if you have a take on a character that you haven't seen before, that you haven't, that's like, ooh, I don't think that's been done before. Um, and if you can't find that, if, if you looked at, I've seen great Lears, and I, and, I, and I don't know that I have anything new at this point hmm. that I would try to infuse. So I'm not sure that that would be something that I would want to take on. So you talk about, you know, getting older. Uh, we're around the same age. I think there's like a year difference. Um, I'm the youngster on the call. Wow. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> you you don't look it. You certainly don't look <laughs> the white it. white hair. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Are there certain uh, actors that you've never worked with that you would feel you'd be remiss if you didn't get the opportunity to work with them? Oh, there's so many. There's just so many. Um I know Meryl Streep, but I haven't worked with her. I, I, Daniel Day-Lewis, I met once, and he's phenomenal. There's so many actors who I'm in awe of, and, mm-hmm. and I would love to play with them because I feel like they're all so good that I could learn something from each and every one of them. And, and that's a true statement. I, I, there's, there's no stasis in, in for me it, as i look at at a career i i think it just has to keep moving and and changing and shifting so as you age you add on perhaps a different body movement or your body changes so you have to adapt to that your energy level changes you have to adapt to that um you know i was saying about a granddaughter going to see taylor swift that's a, that's that's the kind of characters that I'm I'm getting into now. It's like oh that that's the age group. So uh, I just want to embrace it and see what else is out there. But it it, it really has to it really has to inspire me. Uh, I came up with this this four step system that m- helps me decide on on projects, and it goes from curious. Well, I can be curious about a script or a subject. And I say, oh, that's kind of curious. Let me lean in a little bit more. And it goes from curious to interested. Oh, I'm really now interested in this subject. And this character is really something. That's the breaking point. If I'm just curious and interested about something, the answer is still no. I'm not going to be a part of that project. It has to transcend into the next level, which is passionate. I have to become passionate about it in order to put all the time and energy that it takes. And it really does take me a lot of time and energy to just myopically focus on, on that development because there's a lot of source material to read. There's a lot of imagination. There's a lot of self-reflection about what I want to include or how he looks and how he walks and talks. And there's just a lot of uh, to go in. And once I get to passion, I'm, I'm in. And then it could, it could go from passionate to obsessed. Mm. And those, that's when you go, I, I have to do this. I can't not do this. I'm so excited. I've got to do this. You start vibrating. You're so interested you know? So we watch a lot of movies. Um, we've seen uh, like how many movie, how much 
film do you watch? Do you watch a lot of movies? Have you seen a lot of the movies that are nominated for Academy Awards and all that stuff? I, I, I've seen them. I haven't seen all of them. I'm, I'm determined to see all of them before the Academy Awards. Um, but I've seen a lot, yeah. What What did you like? What, what was uh, the movie that moved you this last year? Um, I thought I, I, I was really moved by origin. Mm. I really, I really thought this is so provocative intellectually and emotionally for this woman and her, her discoveries and how, how, how it affects, um, society and, Ava DuVernay had a task of being able to tell this story without being didactic and being able to stay true. It's a, it's a movie. It has to be entertaining, but how do I get this information out and still make it entertaining? That's a, it's a, it was a trick. It was very tricky for her to be able to do that. And she did, you know, exceedingly well. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a lot of, I like the holdovers. I, I, uh, Nyad, I thought, Annette did a fabulous job in that, and uh, Golda with Helen Mirren, and um, uh, American Fiction. Uh, Jeffrey Wright was really, mm -hmm. that was a fun movie. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so what else? Um, Didn't you see Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer. I really liked it. I thought it moved very quickly. I mean, for whatever, it was three hours plus. Three and a half, and yeah. I, I, I thought he, I thought he did a really terrific job. I think it's probably odds on favorite to win. Yes, for sure. And I yeah. think Christopher Nolan wins. Yep. And Cillian Murphy wins. You know what? I wonder if he did. Like, I think Giamatti's going to have a, a lot of support because yeah. he's worked with a lot of people and you know, you don't know when you're going to get in that spot again. I also, I mean, I, in the SAG awards, I, I wound up voting for Bradley Cooper, who I thought was, Ama blew me away as uh, Leonard Bernstein. He was terrific. It just shows you the, the depth of his talent. Um, and it was, you know, directed so beautifully as well. I, I'm thrilled to see what he's been able to do. And um, I'm excited to see what he does next. Um, it's such a tough thing. You know, I mean, it's, is it his turn? I don't know. Could be. Yeah. We'll see. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I it, I think it was overall a, a very good year. I like some of the smaller movies. I don't know if you've seen a movie. There's a movie called Past Lives, a uh, Korean film that is fantastic. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Um, or what's, uh, Anatomy the, uh, of a Fall. Anatomy of a Fall. That's another uh, one. I love that. Oh, it's oh, great. Oh, God, that was Such great. a smart movie. And she's, uh, she was amazing in that. Wow. Yeah, oh, did what did you see Saltburn? Saltburn, I did. And, uh, <laughs> that, that was, was uh, that was a journey. That was an adventure. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, I I enjoyed it. I must say, I enjoyed it. So yeah. uh, you you grew up in LA as a Dodgers fan. And, Good uh, segue once again. Another segue. another one. Yeah, yeah. Just another left gem. turn. Yeah. Wait, I want to ask you: Have have you done segues before? I, you know, I, I try, I do my best. Um, right, just, I still haven't seen the office, by the way. Still have not seen the office. Okay. Yeah, let's that's, that's what you call a callback. Let's <laughs> go back and talk about that. Um, so they dropped a cool 1.2 billion. Are you feeling, how optimistic are you? 
I, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm loving it. I, uh, I wrote to, uh, Clayton Kershaw the other day when he was announced that he's coming back. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his and, um, I'm so glad he's back. I think the Dodgers will, will win their division. Um, they better, um, the ex- level of expectations now is that they need to get deep. They need to get to the World Series. Do they need to win the World Series yes. to be a successful? Se- yes. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. But that what a position to be put in. Yeah, I know. It all comes down to this. What's so interesting is that in every major sport, it comes down to two things, health and hot. Who, mm-hmm. What team is hot and who's the healthiest? And, you know, what we keep seeing, the Dodgers had that week off. The Orioles had a week off. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, that's what happens. You, you, you don't necessarily, the best team isn't necessarily in the finals because they're not hot at the right time. They have three games to, to remain hot. If they don't get it, they're gone. Yep. So you have to look at, in baseball, 162 games. The Dodgers could win 110 games this year. Yeah. But then it comes down to three games. Mm-hmm. Are they hot and are they healthy for those three games? And if they're not, they'll be gone again. Yeah, that was very disappointing. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, to, yeah, to, say to, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so I know that you're a, you you collect a lot of uh, memorabilia. You have a lot of baseball memorabilia. Um I'm a huge baseball fan as well. And I don't know if you remember this, but the first time I met you when we didn't see one another, um, that's when a lot of the new rules came out. Oh, uh, boy. And I was anti a lot of the rules, and you made fun of me. And you, you actually said, this is you, Sue. Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. So um, I have some memorabilia, but I want to know what is your most prized possession that you have? You know, uh, I will say this. This is the power of the media. Um, I am not really a collector. Um, okay. I'm not really a collector of, of anything except memories. I like experiences and memories. Um, so w- I did an interview once 20 years ago, and the person came over to my house, and they said, can I see your office? And I, oh, okay. I had just had... I think my uh, 50th birthday or something, I forget, 40th or 50th. And people knew that I was a huge Dodger fan, a big baseball fan. So uh, what to get the person like who's a baseball fan? We'll get them baseball. And I had cards and a banner and, a, and old books in it. And so I, I oh, oh, um, oh, I, I guess I put them in my office somewhere. Um, and the person came up and saw them and said, oh, you're a collector. And I said, oh, not really. But it got into the interview. Oh, he's a big <laughs> memorabilia collector. <laughs> and then it's like, then I started getting contacted by professional collectors and be- saying, hey, I've got a full set of this team from this year. And I go, like, I, I just, yeah. Um, I, I think it's part of, of me not not being interested in living in the past too much. I don't mm-hmm. I don't like to hold on to things. I like to I like to be a little looser. And in fact, the older I get, the less things that I want. I I don't that they they start to feel more and more like 
like like an albatross or something and it's not something that i want to have so uh, i but that being said i do have um a jersey signed by about nine of the 500 home run club wow um, there's there's a few now that that i'm that i'm missing um i guess someone else will have to collect those so the coolest thing that I have, I became very good friends with Tom Candiotti and his wife many years ago when he played for the Dodgers. And um, Name he, dropper. Yeah. <laughs> well, Donna Candiotti, yes. <laughs> so I, uh, he gave me a signed picture of himself, and he wrote, Dear Sue, I heard you like it low and inside. Love, Tom. <laughs> Man. <laughs> and I cherish that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That that's a pretty damn good line. You know, the baseball memorabilia thing reminds me of uh, how you're going to retire when you're. I said, are you going to retire when you're 75? Is that the story that got out there? It, that's another thing. It, you know, I was doing an interview for GQ and uh, for something we were promoting, and I said, "Well, what's going?" I said, "Well, I've been working for the past 26 years." nonstop. And while that's all great, I think I'm becoming depleted of new, fresh ideas. Uh, and I might be becoming derivative of myself. And I feel like at some point I need to hit the pause button. I need to, I need to have a reset to get more life experience. So I may take some time off for a while and then, uh, and see how that feels and maybe learn a language and learn how to cook and you know, reestablish uh, a more equitable relationship with my wife because in this business, they tend to elevate the celebrity and diminish the partner. Yep. And it's like, oh, I don't, you know, the, the plus one. And, you know, there were times on the red carpet where they go, can you move? Can, can you move out of the way? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Ah. Mm-hmm. I just did. And so it's time. I think I want to just, you know, uh, make some adjustments so that that comment got to the point where uh he's gonna hit the pause button he needs a reset a retirement of sorts and i went (laughs) who added that word and then someone took that word and put it in the headline brian cranson's gonna retire and i was like oh my god i've had to backpedal on that so many times say no no um but you know it's okay. It's it. I, I'm. I wasn't too shocked because media has a tendency to do that. Oh yeah. So uh, funny you mentioned. I I talked to Robin the last time I saw her, and uh, I had done a big speech for what who we call Juan, thanking him for everything at a party, and she said to me, you know, because he was relating to Juan a little bit. She said it's hard to be the person behind the person. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Like I, Juan describes himself as the, uh, the CEO of Steve Mason Inc. He's my <laughs> advisor. He's my partner. He's my, I mean, he runs the house. Um, and you know, I'm out there performing while he's doing a lot of the, the work and advising me and stuff, but the person behind the person is a thing. It's a real thing. And it's the, it's, it's like, it's like being a caretaker. You don't get the accolades. You know, when you go to a home and you have a friend who is ill, all the attention goes to the friend. Like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How? Are you? But the person who's actually taking care of that person 
is a hero. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, in, in some sense, that's kind of what it's like for the partner of a celebrity. And it's not, it, it's not easy. It's an inequitable uh, position to be in. So it's up to us then to, uh, to shift it and, and make sure that we, we take that apart and dis- disassemble that structure so that we can meet on the same plane. Yeah. Are you doing that? I, I am. I'm doing everything okay. I can. All right. Yeah, everything I can. Uh, last, I'll make one last bad transition. What are you doing next? I, I looked at your IMDb page. There's there, Argyle is the top thing. What is, what's the next thing? I don't know. Um, there are a couple, taking a, a couple, you taking a break, Brian? Yeah, I, I'm going to retire. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to you know I'm going to do a marathon uh, watching The Office. Uh, nice. Yeah. As will I. Uh, okay. And, uh, no, um, I don't know. I, there are several irons in the fire, some theater things in the works, um, some movie, uh, uh, options for me. And, um, you know, so it's just, I'm okay with not doing it. I, I don't, I don't want to work to keep busy. I don't right. need to do that. I only want to do things that are that I'm passionate about. Oh, I'm, I'm busy with Dos Hombres, the Mezcal. Oh, of and, course. That's going incredibly well. So now uh, the official takes- mezcal of SoFi Stadium. I I had a uh, mezcalita uh, the last time I was there for a Rams game. Yeah, dos hombres. Yeah, it's it's been it's been great. And my partner Aaron Paul is a, just a fabulous human being, and um, we have a great time together. And we hit the road, and we, we're building this business, and it's now the number five mezcal in the world, and we're excited about that, and we. We want to make it the number one mezcal. So we're out. I mean, it takes a lot of work, and but, uh, but we're very passionate about it, and we, we love it. So um, it doesn't feel like work. It, it just takes up time. And I'm, I'm, I'd rather do that than I, I just don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do a, a, a movie that I thought, oh, I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do this, and I'm doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I want to say I'm in a unbelievably great place to be where I, where I'm privileged. I understand that. I accept that. There's no question about it. Uh, not just privileged male, but a white privileged male. And I completely accept that that's, uh, I have taken full advantage of that. And, you know, maybe at some point it's like, I, I, I think I should move over and, and, create a space for new voices to come in and tell their stories. And if I can be a, a, a team player to help tell those stories, I think that's, that's, that might be the next move to make. Um, I, I'd like to see what, what else is out there. If the world were truly in an equitable position and people of color and more women were involved in decision-making by God, we can sure use more women in positions of, of power and, and, and decision-making. Um, and so I think that might be something on the horizon for me. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, this has been, it's been great catching up, man. It's great to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. You only do things you're passionate about. So I assume that this podcast is one of them. Well, there are times that you do something, you say yes, and then all of a sudden you go, why did I do that? Why did I say yes? Yeah, why did I agree? God. Mm, Too late to cancel. 
um, thanks, man. It's great seeing you. Argyle's in theaters all over the place. Oh, last thing. Let's look stupid. Uh, this will come out after the Super Bowl. What happened? God, it's hard to bet against Mahomes. It really is. I think, uh, I think you'd be a fool to. Uh, Christian McCaffrey may be the difference there. They've got, they, they're really equally matched, I think. But I, I, ha I have to give the edge to Kansas City. And the reason is Mahomes over Purdy. The, mm -hmm. the depth of, of experience there, I think, is going to make the difference. The quarterback in the NFL is the, is the one position, as we've talked about before, that's the most important single position in all of sports, I think, in team sports. And when you, when you look at the, the Super Bowl and all that hype is behind it, Purdy is awful uh, young, you know, and, and will he be able to rise above uh, nerves and, and I don't know, but we know that Mahomes can. He can rise above injury. He can rise above nerves. The guy's a, uh, he's just a stud. And, yeah. and because of that, I'm going to give the edge to, and this is going to air after that? After the Super Bowl, yes. So it was fantastic to see <laughs> Patrick Mahomes bring the Chiefs all the way to a victory and just, they just they pulled it out as we knew they would. You know what I like the best? I like how after Kansas City won, uh, Taylor Swift uh, was down on the field with Travis Kelsey and he proposed to her. Yeah. And then she opened her Kansas City jacket and said, vote Joe Biden. Have you heard Unbelievable. this? Unbelievable. I, I thought it was amazing. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. So all those... <laughs> All those pundits were tr were actually right. <laughs> they you were know? right. I actually just want to say, I just want to say that I was really glad that San Francisco got redemption. Oh no! Anybody but the Niners, Sue. Wow, I'm I a Rams fan. Steve, Anybody but the Niners. I've got a lot of family in San Francisco. Oh, that's right. And to me, Casey—they're kind of because I hated the Patriots for so many years. They're like the new Patriots. Mm. You know, I okay, would just so like to see the 49ers win. Okay, so Sue, that's a very emotional standpoint. Now, what is your what does your intellect say? You are an insider on this. Who do you think, if you were putting ten thousand dollars on the line of your own money, who would you bet on? I probably would bet on KC, but I want the 49ers to win. There you okay. go. That's so fair, there's fair there's fair. the head and there's the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian, great seeing you, man. Thanks for coming on. We'll do this again sometime. And uh, and Argyle, all that stuff. Can't wait to see what you do next, man. It's it's a lot of fun. Go see that movie. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Sue. There you have it. There is Brian Cranston. Uh, always uh, congenial, and uh, I've known him for years, and such a great guy. And I never noticed that he had resting angry face until I actually had it pointed out to me by by him. Resting mean I, face, I think, was the, the phrase. Resting mean face. Um, we, you have to invite me when you're hanging out with him one of these days. Yes. And he would be one of those people where I would break my dry dumb and have a drink with. There you go. Um, a, a dos hombres mezcal. Yes. Have you had the dos hombres? I have not. I'm going to get him to send you a bottle. Oh. Fantastic. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really, really. You know what I like about it is, he'll like that we're talking about this too, um, is that, like, for example, instead of a margarita, you have a mescalita. 
And it's got this kind of nice, savory, smoky flavor to it, as opposed to the sweetness of a margarita. Mm -hmm. Absolutely delicious. So when you send it to me, will you wrap it in my Culture Pod sweatshirt? Oh, God. It's sitting right there. I can it's see always it. sitting there. I can see it from where I am. I want to see it. I want you to show it to me because I don't think you have right it. Right now? Yes, I do. Okay, hang on. Just talk for a minute. This may be the only way I see it. Yeah, you'll at least see it. <laughs> uh, let me see. We're bringing on the studio, so I'm digging around. But here it is. As promised. So? Yeah. Oh, hi. Hello, sweatshirt. It's Hello, so, it's, especially for this time of year, it's great. I've been wearing mine nonstop. Oh, yeah. You know, I would be wearing mine if I had it. <laughs> I, I will get it to you. I will get it to you, along with a bottle of Dos Ombres. So if you're, uh, if you're listening, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Uh, again, five-star rating, positive review, always helpful. If you're on YouTube, uh, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. We always have great guests. Uh, Brian Cranston, fantastic today. Uh, and everything you do, recommend the show. That's the other thing you can do. Recommend the show to somebody who you think uh, would be into it um, as we continue to uh, build this thing out. I seriously, Sue, am so committed to this. I... I think I'll be doing this show after I leave ESPN. I think we'll still be doing this show. And when are you leaving ESPN? I'm uh, not. Uh, I'm planning on 2028. Oh, okay. Four more years. Four more years. Four more years. Four yeah. more years. I want my last thing to be the Olympics in LA. Okay. In 2028. Because I love the Olympics. I think I'm so excited about them coming here. Um, okay. All right. Well, there you have it. Great show. Thanks very much for watching and for listening. Sue, great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.